Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on international business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Hello and welcome to the Culture Matters podcast, where this week we're taking a look at the human side of tech or the human side of technology. We do this with Vanessa Shaw. Vanessa Shaw is an experienced consultant, trainer, and active speaker at leadership conferences. She's a work futurist on a mission to help organizations and teams collaborate virtually in a way that builds trust and fosters innovation so that they can impact positive change with their work. Vanessa helps clients to navigate the digital revolution by implementing the right technology for their team. She then helps them to create virtual teams, environments that bring to life the human side of tech. She has a bachelor's degree in communication from the University of California, Santa Cruz, and originally from the Silicon Valley, she's lived abroad since 2011, currently enjoying Barcelona. And you can find her on Twitter and on the web at the human side of tech. Let's go straight into the interview. It's um, it's nice uh, hearing Vanessa talk about her travels within her own country, the United States, and then flying out to discover the rest of the world and now settling down for some time in Spain, Barcelona, to be precise. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning, Vanessa. How are you? Hi, Chris. Good morning. Nice to speak with you today. Likewise. <laughs> we, um, I, I, like most guests, I don't know. Few guests, actually, I, uh, I've met in, um, in person. We have not met in person and we met over Twitter, right? Yeah, I think it was Twitter or I maybe ran across your blog at one point. It's always hard to, to pinpoint it when it's a digital yeah. Um, meeting. But yeah, I think it was through Twitter. And that's what you're all about. Digital digital stuff, the human side of tech. But before you go into that, Vanessa, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, where do you come from? Where are you now? And what would you call your cultural frame of reference? Uh, well, I guess the, to start with the last question, my cultural frame of reference is probably a classic uh, Californian, grew up around the Silicon Valley technology environment, and you know I just love it. I'm passionate about it. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I grew up in the Bay Area, as we call it, and went to university not too far away. Uh, also spent some time living in New York and a couple other states, and more recently I've been living in Europe since about 2012 with several other stops along the way in Peru and Mexico, Thailand. So bounced around with work and a passion for travel and learning about myself through other people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, those are kind of the summary of things. Yeah. Okay. That's, um, it's, I, I was just thinking, should I say this or not? I always call people who, 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 who Americans typically who live outside of the U.S. Uh, like enlightened Americans. Uh, and we were discussing just previously before i hit a record we were discussing like okay let's not talk about politics and stuff like this and and then you mentioned like okay well being away from home and home being the u.s then is sort of you you slowly start to detach from your home country do you have that same feeling i mean we were just talking about the upcoming elections in the u.s so you feel like you're being slowly being detached from the u.s 
Oh, detached? No, because, you know, my, my family, everyone that has just raised me and such a integral to my life still, you know, I'm very much attached to them and it's hard to be far away. So I wouldn't use the word detached. I would say maybe, you know, there's just so much to know in the world that there's just only so much time and information you can absorb. And I've become more aware maybe of, of the other things beyond kind of this gigantic nation that I called my home for so long and so it's not that I'm detached it's just I'm more um, aware in maybe focused or uh, exploring kind of the European uh, dialogue that happens here Um, you know also being here as my base I get more I think visibility into the you know the Middle Eastern the Mediterranean even there's a lot more looking I think into China now which since I've been gone, maybe that's happening in the United States as well. But my reference point has been from a different corner. Okay, and you mentioned you're in Spain right now, correct? Yes, Barcelona. Barcelona, okay, wonderful. Any view of the sea there? Yeah. The the Sagrada Familia there? Ah, yeah. I mean, Barcelona has uh, so many wonderful and amazing places. The only dilemma I'm encountering now that it's summer is I have to share it with a lot more people. All the tourists are here. That is true. That is true. It's a really, it's a, it's a, well, tourist trap. It's a magnet for sure. Yeah. Um, Would you be able to tell or give the audience, because we, um, I know that 50% of the audience listening to this podcast will be North American and the other 50% listening will be uh, from the rest of the world. People always say, Americans say, within the United States, there's a difference between the East and the West Coast. What would you consider, because you have lived in California, grew up in Silicon Valley, and then you moved to New York as well. What mm. would be the main difference within like, so, so these so-called intracultural differences? Yeah, so my um, when I was relatively young, I studied abroad in London, and then shortly after, you know, I had this travel bug, and I went to Thailand, mm-hmm. and I was only 19 by the time I got back, and I really hadn't explored very much of my own country, mm-hmm. and when I was in Thailand, I was doing volunteer work, and I had this epiphany that, you know, I kept on always feeling I wanted to make a, a positive impact in the world and change the world, you know, typical young, idealistic. Does. yes, yes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> And I realized in Thailand, well, I don't know the language. I don't understand their government. I don't know how you would actually start to make change happen. So why don't I um, go back to my home country and try and make change happen there? And I kind of became, uh, my mission was to understand the culture of the United States. And so when I moved to New York, I actually drove. I drove from California by myself to New York. <laughs> Route 66 you took. I didn't know. I I went the northern route on the Lincoln Highway, two lane roads. I stayed away from the interstates, went through small towns. I remember being in a small town in, uh, I think it was Illinois, and I stopped to get gas and a sandwich. And I remember a tank of gas and a sandwich cost me like $12 at the time. (laughs) And this, um, the waitress looked at me and she kind of glared at me and said, you're not from here, are you? (laughs) And I said, no, I'm not. And I said, kind of shy, I'm from California. Oh, why are you here? Well, I'm moving to New York. (laughs) I just felt like an alien, you know, just like, you know, Californian driving across. And um, so I think some of the core differences that I noticed is, well, the United States is just gigantic. Mm -hmm. Even, Even for an American, it's still boggles my mind that it's still one country because it's just so much land space. Um, Coastally, you know, there is kind of some similarities between the coastal cultures. Um, But in New York, I felt um, I wanted to explore the, the environment there. 
as I've heard, you know, I had heard that it's, you know, more straightforward, more direct, um, a little bit more in your face. Uh, you kind of, you know, people say what they mean, um, whereas in California, the stereotype can be is people can have more of a, a fluffy, very outgoing, friendly, but maybe not um, as direct, maybe indirectly um, having different opinions, not wanting okay. to confront things. But, you know, you can find both in both places. Sure. So yeah. stereotypes are, you know, faulty, whether it's about your own home country or an international location. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very that's very observant. That's very uh, uh, culturally sensitive. If you t- if you can actually see that about your own country, I think at least. So mm. that's uh, that's very nice. Uh, you, I was going to ask what made you leave the United States, but you've you've left and then you came back already. Um, so, is there a, re- a particular reason why you started traveling? Um, you know, what made me want to start traveling? I think I just had a curiosity really as, as simple as that when I went my first uh, solo trip was in London I mean I did grow up with two parents that had uh, they actually lived in Mexico for university in the 60s mm-hmm. and that was before study abroad you know it was one of the first uh, relationships between the U.S. and an international mm-hmm. um, university so I grew up with parents that really kind of ingrained this idea of curiosity and openness to difference which I'm forever grateful for um, you know, going going away and coming back each direction, you learn something, yep. you know, and so I think that can be a bit of a, a bit habit forming, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. wanting to find out, well, okay, I've been away for a while. Now, if I go back, what happens? And oh, I've been back for a while. What if I go away again? What happens now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah very much. I can, I can very much relate to that. I was, I was a young kid, 13. It was a long time ago. And my dad came home, he worked for IBM, and he said, we're going to go to the U.S., and we're going to go there for a year. So, and that, I mean, at that time, nobody traveled. Of course, people traveled, but not as much as, I mean, going to New York was like the really the other side of the world, I mean, another <laughs> planet. And I was a kid that was 13, landing there, and that sort of instilled the idea of, of the world is bigger than the borders of my country. And I live in a, I mean, I come from a tiny country. But I, I guess, indeed, the world is bigger than, you, than your own country, as you say, and as you have delightfully experienced yourself as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, um, the fact that you were, because I want to sort of um, segue into what you do professionally, or at this moment at least, which is the human side of tech. And the fact that you were born in Silicon Valley, does that have anything to do with what you're currently doing? Yeah, you know, I think... There's a certain point in our lives when we think we can really evolve and change who we are. And then there's maybe the, I think maybe turning 30, you kind of get to this like humbling point where as much as I can evolve and grow, you know, my origins are so powerful in my identity. And uh, one of my best friends growing up, her mom, she's actually Dutch Mm -hmm. and she's lived in the United States more than half of her life, the mom. But you meet her. And she's a Dutch lady. She has a slight accent. She carries herself in that way. You know, our origins just really lay the foundation for us. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my origin really is definitely from kind of a technology environment. And that maybe could be answering your question as well. In, in the California Bay Area environment, I felt like um, creation was a theme, creating something new. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you go back, you know, 100 years 
prior when the gold rush and 150 more so um you know they people went out there to create something new right mm -hmm. and start from scratch and there's definitely a theme there i mean you can see it in hollywood attracting people from around the world launching themselves from nothing um on the east coast i felt like um some it was a bit more of a you know smart investment um creating networks that can um you know create kind of pockets of wealth you know there's wall street of course and that plays a large um kind of influencers like older uh, we, were, we call it old money <laughs> yeah. whereas in the west you would say maybe there's like a newer wealth that's happening mm -hmm. um so i think i identify more with this idea of innovation invention creation um and a lot of what you know is behind all of that is just being willing to look at well, what's behind us, what's inside of us, what already exists? And let, let me question it and see if I can can look at it from a different perspective and adapt it or change it or decide, no, actually, that's a good system. So um, there's a bit of uh, this reflection happening kind of at the basis of all of this kind of technology innovation and, you know, um, global reaching this message of innovation comes a lot of the time out of that region in, in the California Bay. Yeah. 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 And, and, and that's not where you wanted to stay because it, it is or was or is happening there. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's so important to see things beyond our own borders, whether that's, you know, uh, geographic border, whether that's a personal internal uh, personality border, um, you know, pushing outside of that, we get perspective and that uh, makes things a lot more clear. I probably wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't be able to speak about it in this way, you know, five years ago when I hadn't seen so much from the other perspective. Yes. Yes. Makes, it makes sense, I guess. And I guess Bar Barcelona is like a very hip city as well in its own way, in its own European way, I guess. Yeah, I was actually, the majority of my time in Spain has been in Madrid, which is quite different from Barcelona. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, it's an internal, is a geographic region. It's, you know, not on a border. I've always, whether California or New York, it's always been near a, a coastal border. So being on an internal location was different for me. And culturally, I saw how that impacted the identity of the city. And um, I definitely noticed similarities to Barcelona, to things I experienced maybe in San Francisco mm -hmm. that I found were different in, in Madrid. Yeah. Very, very quick side question pops up in my mind. Uh, recently, Barcelona uh, beat Juventus in the soccer game. Uh, was that a madhouse there in Barcelona? <laughs> it's, yeah, it was. Um, I'm not much for the, the football scene. No, me I'll, neither. So Yeah, I, I might get thrown out now that I say that. But um, No, I'll it, support you. Don't worry. <laughs> it was absolutely so much fun. And we went out and whew, it must have been close to midnight, one o'clock in the morning. And the mm -hmm. streets were shut down. People were... <laughs> fireworks, waving flags, dancing, singing. It was just total mayhem. Yeah, I can I can imagine. Um, I have one more question before we go to uh, to your, I keep saying the, the, the human side of tech, but we'll get to that seriously. <laughs> um, it, you were born in the US and now you're living in Spain. You've seen other parts of the world and, and traveled the world as well. But focusing on the US and on, on Spain in this particular instance, what would you consider being the, the biggest cultural difference or the main cultural differences between these two countries? Mm, yeah. Well, I think the one that I encounter on a daily basis um, 
is that, you know, here it's very, um, well, some people use this metaphor of uh, peaches and coconuts to define yes. two different ways of forming relationships or establishing trust. So the coconut, what it's hard on the outside with a core that's quite cozy and, and, and delicious. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and then the peach would be the opposite, right? So squishy on the outside, easy to take a bite out of, but then this hard core in the middle. And so um, I've used this to kind of help myself to understand the differences in so Spain I would say is more leaning towards the the coconut side of the spectrum uh-huh. um, where and it, it makes so much sense their history they've lived in the same kind of Iberian Peninsula for a long time yeah. and um, family networks uh, friends neighbors small communities that had kind of this shell around them and on the inside you know you you have your real solid base of um, interaction and support and there's not a whole lot of need to go outside of that because it's so cozy yeah, yeah. Um, me coming from California I would say you know we're definitely much more on the peach side of things where we make relationships fast but maybe they're not as long lasting and or superficial possibly you know, I always avoid that word because oh, sorry. There, <laughs> <laughs> there is, I can understand from the outside that it does seem superficial, but there is a real usefulness and uh, functionality to it um, that I, I really value. In the um, U.S. context. Yeah, and even so, more so in, in California, you know, I would say if we were going to divide the states up, you know, West, West Coast would be more peach and East Coast could possibly be more coconut. Uh-huh. Um, and again, you see that historical, you know, the East Coast is longer established. There's more established networks that have formed and the West Coast is lots of people in and out still. Um so you kind of need to form relationships quickly um, because you might not be there very long. And um, so, you know, these two differences I've noticed quite a lot and associating certain behaviors and habits like chit chat and small talk. Mm. It's not so common in, in Spain. And sometimes I feel a little bit silly when I, I naturally go into these kind of superficial zones, so that to speak, uh-huh. conversations. But for me, it's part of my everyday lifestyle yeah. that it's such a natural habit and way of relating yeah 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 it makes sense it's, it's um you're basically uh you're talking about the difference if there is a cultural dimension that would explain this it's individualism versus collectivism on the other side whereby the, the spaniards would be more collectivistic than than the americans um and, and i'm i'm going to go back to that word that you don't want to use <laughs> It's <laughs> because it's it's um, and the thing it's not per se that I that is my opinion of the United States or of of Californians if you want um, it's it's something that I uh, if I bring it up in a workshop or in a, in a lecture a lot of of the Europeans can actually recognize this you go into an American shopping mall and people greet you from the outside you know on the on the threshold of of the store and the and the, the public area and they say hi how you doing and it means nothing. It's it's is it is it is a it's a friendly gesture, but there's there you wouldn't stop a step up to this person and say, well, you know what? Listen, I did this yesterday. And you want to know how I am? But that's that's not mm. that's not the idea. Well, on the other side, which then would be more the collectivistic side, and maybe Spain is not the right example. Um, but personally, I have some good experience with uh, with India as well. Is that the, that more collectivistic cultures for individualistic people can be quite um, heavy, quite uh, people even heard people use the word suffocating. Is that something that you could relate to? Suffocating is a hard word, but I mm. does does it make sense to some extent? I know, yeah, I know what you're kind of what. Um, 
kind of the classic situation where you're having a big family meal and you know the family is wants to know all about your life and wants you to eat more and it, you can't go anywhere without um, you know company right yes. <laughs> like yes. oh you're going to the grocery store let me go with you yeah. te campaño you know I'll go with you as they say it all the time um, when I'm thinking no that's fine I'll go by myself and it's um, you know to use your words a friendly gesture mm-hmm. and uh, it's you know I, when you're saying that uh, this hello how are you uh, it has no meaning well it does have meaning it's just a friendly gesture yeah okay fair enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah Okay, uh, but, but you you would experience some of that as well in Spain as well. The other, the flip side of that same coin, meaning the meaning that you ha- might have at times you might have like I need my own space. I don't. Mm. I'm okay with. I don't need to see everybody. I don't need to go to a public park, or maybe you can because you can. You can be nicely on your own there. But um, you know, uh, as a as a, as an example, what I experienced myself um, having been married to to an Indian for 10 years and going to India back and forth it's um, I would sometimes go to the rooftop and just take a take a chair and be on my own and just be you know, just, just be, be nicely and, and quiet and be on my own which I mean says everything about me of course and nothing much about about the Indian family so relate to that somewhat yeah absolutely uh, well my boyfriend he's from Barcelona and you know we, we don't run into it too often but definitely he, there's moments where he offers to go with me and I genuinely say no it's fine I, I'm, I'm okay and I know he genuinely thinks that it's a very sweet thing and it is um, but you know there's always a I think also I use it more with um, some of my, my friends here who normally they you know I wouldn't say to a friend, oh, I'll go with you or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I know for them, it's a gesture that makes them feel cared for. And uh, so maybe I'll, I'll try and offer that. But then, you know, my bad days when I'm just burnt out and I need uh, a bit of quiet time, and maybe not so so, so gracious. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you know, I might be out on the balcony by myself with a book, uh, with my headphones on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you are human after all. Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, having said that, human, finally I'm there. <laughs> the human side of tech, Vanessa, what is that all about? Because that's your, I think, your main thing, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it's a wonderful time in anybody's career life when they finally link together all of those threads in their, their background and passions and experiences. And how does it all tie together? Mm-hmm. And, you know, technology, like I said, my origin, you know, this invention and, uh, you know, creating the digital workplace at the core of my my origin. And then, you know, I've spent a lot of time looking at human relationships and how do we interact and how do we share experiences? How do we connect? And I'm living in the era of social media, social technology, which is such a fun playground for me to play in. And I find that a lot of times it's a challenging adjustment. It moves quickly. It changes. There's a lot of need for agility and adaptation at every given second. And so, you know, my mission is to help people to see you know, technology not as this cold, stale, you know, disconnected um, um, tech. It's actually, you know, made for humans to, you know, benefit us in some way. And it's made by humans also. So I'm passionate also about looking at well, what are, what's the culture that's creating this technology? How does what's the culture of, of innovating tech or creating tech or building these websites or uh, software programs that we're using all day long? Um, how did how did that all happen? What was the 
environment that that created that. So looking at that, um, you can see some parallels into what uh, leadership, is, what kind of leadership the digital era really needs and what uh, skill sets is going to be more and more important, not just uh, now, but for every generation that comes now. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and that is that you, you make your business out of that, right? Yeah, so I work a lot with teams uh, that, you know, are looking to improve their virtual collaboration. So they're working at a distance, which almost every team now is, whether it's a global distance or, you know, multiple offices in one country. And, you know, they're using certain platforms or not using them and they're having challenges collaborating, um, staying connected project management, um, and then also understanding the cultural implications. So, you know, how do they form trust? How does trust get broken? Mm-hmm. How do they establish a team culture? You know, okay. it's, a, it's a virtual team culture as well, you know? Yeah, so the, basically you are you're talking about virtual teams that could span the globe as well. Yes. Okay, and then you made, you said something that which actually triggered, and it's a question actually I'd written down as well. How how is technology, in your view or your experience, used differently in different cultures? Ah, uh, well, I mean, because I mean, the, the, sorry to interrupt you. It's, I'm just thinking about Twitter is worldwide, Facebook is worldwide. Mm. Um, so, uh, do people uh, LinkedIn as well? You got the main platforms there. Google Plus is going out anyways. So, what? How do people use this differently, if at all? Yeah, um, I mean, I think there's certain things that are slightly, you know, not that earth shatteringly shocking, you know, Um, people that are more tending to be indirect communicators. You can see that if you put an observant eye in their Facebook feeds, Um, you know, there's an example. um, Well, I'll give an example. I was just at uh, the CTAR Congress, which is for intercultural trainers, and um, a woman gave a presentation uh, where she had looked at how our Germans versus Americans using Facebook differently. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot more concern about uh, security and privacy coming out of Germany and um, in the United States there's very much of this like open source I mean Facebook is you know just everything should be open and available and so you know some of the comments that the Germans would make would be more um, subdued Uh, maybe fewer exclamation marks um, Mm -hmm. a little bit less of the banter so it's uh, sort of the superficial talk, maybe. <laughs> ah, you used the word. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Americans were classic for saying, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Way to go. That's so amazing. Um, or as my boyfriend says, you think everything is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Even when it's just kind of funny, we say that's hilarious. And yeah. it's true. This is true. We love those exaggerated words. Um and so maybe that she was commenting about the the Germans were using less of that kind of language, which in in person you could notice that as well. So that I don't think is a huge shocker mm-hmm. that no. online they they communicate in a similar way. Um, selection of platforms can also change, um, or perhaps I, when I was living in Mexico, I noticed the amount of times people posted images and the expectation you had that people would comment or like or leave a little smiley face. Mm -hmm. It was almost um, an expectation in your relationship that you were constantly contributing to your Facebook page. You know, if we're friends and I don't comment, like, or message you at all, they're... um, 
there's a disconnection in the relationship. Yeah, I would but, I would question are are we still friends, Vanessa? You and I. Yeah, are you yeah. paying attention to what I'm doing and giving yeah. me a little thumbs up? That makes me feel uh, a bit, a little moment of connection with you. Yeah, yeah. that's that's quite true. I have a buddy in uh, who lives in Florida, and uh, when I go out for a run, he always always puts like, and I have no idea why he has to put like for that. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's nice. I mean, but it doesn't do anything for me. I mean, I'll I'll yeah. tell him in a couple of hours when we talk. But um, is is technology taking cultural differences away? Is it is it bridging cult- cultural differences, or do you think that these cultural differences remain and we just have to make it work? Um, I think. Well, you know, I use the example that every time you go onto your computer and you click a button, you're traveling to another country almost mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so easy to overlook that. We're so, it's such a habit. We go to our computers every day, you know, in in many parts of the world. Um, So I think when we don't give thought and reflection to these things is when we can get in trouble. Um, If we just go forward thinking, oh yeah, we're all just humans, we're all just the same, we're, you know, that's that's a dangerous mentality. Um, And so I think understanding and taking a moment, I talk, you know, about mindfulness with technology. And and also that has to do with, you know, what technology I select to use or not use. Again, give an example, because technology is such a white, I mean, a robotic uh, uh, vacuum cleaner is also a a technology. Sure. Um, So example could be, I think anybody that uh, has been frustrated that somebody didn't call them back on the phone or didn't send them a response to their text message. Uh-huh. Um, you felt like, what's going on? Why, why won't you respond to me? Or respond to my email. You never get back to my emails. Or you, you take two, three weeks. I feel maybe less important. <laughs> um, that might be because that person just uh, doesn't like to use their email or their phone. And right. so um, also now with how the options of kind of... I, when I talk about technology, I mainly focus on the things that help us work and collaborate together or communicate. So, you know, email, uh, social media platforms, and now this space of social collaboration tools, which are um, what they create like a digital workspace. One of which um, that I use with my team is called Red Booth, um, which is a very great place to do project management and have tasks and team conversations. And it's a new tool. And if somebody in the team is never going and checking their messages or participating there, they start to become less relevant, less, um, you know, they're not contributing. So maybe we feel like they don't care about us. They're not interested. They're too busy. Or maybe they're not well. Um, So now a lack of presence in these environments with uh, you know your team or your personal relationships. It also is sending a message. So that's why I'm really passionate about encouraging people to not be so afraid of the digital mm. environment, because actually so much of our relationships depend on it now, whether we like it or not. And once you get in there, it, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. can yeah. be. Yes, yes. I, I mean, I agree. I'm on 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 your side as well. You mentioned something. You said. Um, uh, brushing over these cultural differences can be dangerous. Is that dangerous? What what word did you use? Dangerous? I uh, possibly yeah something I mean, like that. I mean yeah, it's, it's risky. <laughs> risky. Well, at least yeah, it's um, it, it, it's a cautious word that you uh, that you used. Is mm. why do you think or how do you how do you explain to to people in organizations that culture does matter? How do you how do you do that? 
Well, that's a broad question. I mean, I, you know, I am a trainer, and so there, it depends on uh, the context. I think um, the best thing we can do is to raise an awareness of our own programming or what our orientation is and open up a space where we have the opportunity to listen to what others say or think, which can be quite different um, from our own. And go assumptions, you know, is very uh, tricky in relationships. I assume that what you say is what you mean when maybe what you're saying is there's an indirect kind of writing uh, between reading between the lines that we need to do to understand the message inherent in the way you said something, the tone of voice, um, and this is you know a topic that people talk about on you know virtual interactions is that we don't have tone of voice, uh, we don't have facial rec- you know recognition of expression, interpretation, yeah, and it and it, it flattens the context. Yeah. You know we're we're both on email. It doesn't mean right now we're both on a call together. You're in another country. Yeah. Um, there might be a civil war going on outside of your house, and I don't know that. <laughs> and yeah. so yeah. Um, these things make an, uh, an impact. Yeah. Okay. It's, um, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the clock here. We're about 30 minutes in the interview. I, I saw in, on your uh, LinkedIn profile that you also do something with TCO. Yes, TCO International. What, so what, is, what does that do, and what do you do there? Yeah, so a lot of what I just was talking about, um, I've been working with them as head of communications, which is a robust title of kind of internal communications Uh for the team. Uh So how are they communicating um, and collaborating with their global associates? So they do international uh, projects for multinationals looking at uh, global people development, as they call it. So developing global professionals, developing teams and developing organizations to address the challenges of working globally. <laughs> and so looking at culture, looking at project management, looking at also use of collaboration tools. And so my piece in the, all of that is really the, the digital communication and also externally with clients and marketing, uh, social media as well. Yes. Okay. Nice. And this is a Spanish company or uh, another based in another country? They so TCO stands for the Cambridge Office uh-huh. or TCO, and um, the founders started it in Cambridge a long time ago, uh-huh. and now they have hubs in Italy, in Mexico, and in England. And we are hundred percent virtual team with associates in twenty five countries or so, and we're all working virtually. So it's a true, <laughs> true global virtual team, yeah. which presents lots of opportunities for experimentation and failure and learning and trying new things okay wow. nice. okay out of the um uh, the the major social media platforms what's your favorite one out of curiosity uh if i want to laugh yeah. uh instagram okay. i just i love the the photos and there's lots of sarcastic uh accounts <laughs> kind yeah. of making jokes uh, to different things and if I want to network and build my professional uh, contacts and reach to people uh, Twitter I think okay. it's really excellent environment um, I'm, I'm becoming less and less interested in, in Facebook it's 
Yeah. <laughs> it's for the younger generation, I guess. And then, then they're moving to Instagram as well and, and WhatsApp, I guess. Yeah. All right. Um, the, I have um, two questions left. And one is the one that I always ask, actually the two questions I always ask. Can you give us, Vanessa, three tips to become more culturally competent from your own experience? Yes. Um, I think the first two are just, I think, good for life in general. But, um, you know, resiliency um, when we're trying new things, experiencing difference in different cultures or encountering things in ourselves that we maybe are going to like less than we thought at first, <laughs> challenges, resiliency, you know, and just getting back out there and trying again. And so that trying again is also uh, creativity. So that would be the second one. Um, being creative, thinking outside of the box, pushing your your status quo and uh, trying different things. Um and then kind of to make everything better, I would say, is just laughter. Um, when we take ourselves too seriously or others t- or challenges too seriously, it makes things much more <laughs> complicated. So true, true. laughing things, laughing about things, letting things go and getting back out there, trying again, resiliency, be creative. I think it's a good cycle to, <laughs> okay. to play in. Yeah. yeah. And those are, th- did you give me three or two? Because I- I'm on two. Or be creative is a- is would be a separate yeah. one. Yeah, so resiliency, creativity, and laughter. Okay, wonderful. Excellent. Vanessa, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they best do that? Sure. Um, well, Twitter, Human Side of Tech. Mm-hmm. It's my Twitter handle. It's also my website, humansideoftech.org. And that's the best place to reach me. All right, excellent. It has been um, an awesome interview. <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> so no, it wasn't hilarious. It was awesome. <laughs> Vanessa, awesome. thank you very much for taking your time. Um, what's for dinner tonight, Tapas, in uh, in Barcelona? Uh, yeah, going to check out a new wine bar with some really nice local wines and Catalan food. I can just I can just see people <laughs> listening like, oh, I want that too. All right, well, enjoy the weather. No doubt it's going to be great there. Uh, enjoy the dinner. And again, thank you very much for your time. And I'm sure we'll bump into each other next time or anytime soon. Okay, thank you, Chris. Bye. Thanks again, Vanessa, for the um, the time that you took for this interview and the the nice stories that you uh, the, that you told us as well. The human side of tech. We've come to the end of this podcast, Culture Matters podcast, where we give you real people with real stories. And if you like this, then I would really appreciate if you would leave a review in iTunes. And of course, you know, you can always subscribe to this podcast as well, which I think is a very good decision to do right now if you haven't done so already. I'll be back in two weeks' time. Take care and talk to you then. Bye. That's it for this episode. The Culture Matters Podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.